Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to welcome as our guest today, Donovan Jackson. And Donovan is a manager and buyer at Oaks Farms and Seed to Table in Naples, Florida. And if you haven't seen pictures of Seed to Table, you should check out Donovan's LinkedIn because you'll be amazed by the merchandising happening there. Those pictures are actually what caught my attention and led to our conversation today. So thanks very much for joining me, Donovan, and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you, you were just telling me before we hit record here that you'll be 30 years in produce this year. Tell me how you got started in this crazy business. Well, um, right after high school, I literally uh, started working for a company called QFC in Seattle, uh, which is quality food centers. And I got in, a buddy uh, was working there and I needed a job and they he got me a job there and I literally went right into produce and here we are almost 30 years later now. Now, what, so, what made you stick with produce? I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun interacting with the customers. Um, it was a lot of fun working with the product and getting creative with the merchandising and just learning from my mentors back in those days that um, held some pretty high standards and um that also at the time they uh it was known as kind of the high-end store uh still is today but uh they got to do a lot of cool things they were independently owned it wasn't a, a corporate chain um so they are today now unfortunately they've been kroger owned so um but that's what got me into it and i really developed and really enjoyed it. And I moved up rapidly quick. Oh, okay. Now, when when were you a, a produce manager then? So I made produce manager at 22 years old. Oh, my goodness. And I was the youngest produce manager in the company at the time oh. for about a good five or six years. So I worked my way up into a third position. Back then, you would go from store to store based on volume oh. and so i made it as a third and then from there i got promoted to an assistant at a semi-volume store and then got promoted again still as an assistant to the highest volume store and then after that that's when i got promoted to my first rack wow. so and at that point i was 22 years old now what looking back, what were the things that were most challenging about being in a leadership role like that at a pretty young age? Looking back is, is I had associates that were much older than me, um, had been doing it a lot longer than myself. Um, that kind of took the challenge was, is getting them to believe in me and my experience and what I was doing, even though they were, more experienced and been in the business longer and being a young guy, um, you know, it was, I was more focused on my job than I was trying to do what a typical 20 year old guy was doing. Um, because I saw the potential and I saw where it could take me. So 
Um, but the biggest challenge was is just getting people that were much older than me that had been doing it a lot longer than me to believe in me and to support me. So what did you find was most helpful in in accomplishing that in in getting that buy-in from your team? It took for me to show them respect, to show them that I, despite how long I've been doing it versus them, that I also had respect for their ideas and where they come from, how far they've been in the business. And I wanted to treat them respectfully and give them that respect that they've earned being in the business as long as they have. And at a young age, there was a lot of guys that I worked with that were under me that I did learn from that. And I would make sure to let them know that I learned from them and stuff because you never stop learning in this business. And anyone that says that they know everything, they don't. Um, It's something that we will always continue to learn the business change all the time. So once I displayed that and showed them their respect and stuff, they were very easily, they were very supportive of me and pretty impressed by the way I was handling them as a young manager and stuff. I mean, there was a few over the years that I had hurdles with that were stubborn that you just can't do anything about, but um, that was very limited. So, and you mentioned to the the potential and seeing where a career in produce could take you. What what sparked that recognition for you early on? Well, I challenged myself when I was younger because I played sports my whole life, and when you come from a sports background, you know you're competitive, and so I wanted to be the best there was, and. I knew I had a lot to learn. I had to gain a lot of respect to get there. So I wanted to be a sponge uh, as I was young in this business growing up to learn again from the guys that were before me, the ones that mentored me, the ones that I had working for me. Um, I wanted to make sure that they knew that. And so it made me better, made me stronger, and I learned from everyone. You learn the things not to do and the things to do so it i just continue to develop under that regard and i had some great mentors in the ray ray gamash of the world roy murdoch's of the world these were guys that have been in the business for years and years and built that that reputation and company into what it was before i got there and it was just kind of my opportunity to carry that torch. So. So then after that foundation in the stores, you were on the wholesale side of the business for quite a while, right? Yeah. So uh, after being a produce manager for, uh, I was in the stores for nine years, almost 10. And then um, my district manager had left the company. And he went to Unified as a uh, a supervisor, and he recruited me 
out of the store than to follow him there to be a buyer. Oh. And so I went to Unify Grocers, uh, which used to be the old AG. And I worked with him there for another almost 10 years as a organic buyer. And it was a program at the time that they weren't specializing in versus the conventional, but they wanted to grow that book of the business. And when they hired me in, I just, again, just like I did in the stores, I challenged myself. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to take something that was a small portion of the business and create it into something much more. And after nine years of doing that, um, it's exactly what I did. We had, at that point, I was doing about 22% of the company's sales in organic sales. Oh, wow. Uh, that I was able to grow the category. So if it was available and conventional, I went and found it in organic. Very neat. So what did you enjoy about the, the wholesale side of the business compared to the retail side? Um, the wholesale side was great because you got to meet with a lot of growers and which is great. You meet a lot of great people out there going to the PMAs, you know, seeing the new products, the new items and stuff and being able to be the first to market with it. Um, I took a lot of pride in that. Um, I wanted to be the first one out with anything and everything that was unique and different. Um, I didn't want to be that guy that just kind of copycatted what the next guy was doing. I wanted to be the first one to do it. And I still hold myself to that regard to this day. So it was a lot of fun to meet all the people that I did over the years from coast to coast, the growers, the uh, all the competitors out there who would come in and buy from us as well than from the stores that we were servicing. So I was able to gain new business um, based off what I was able to do with the category and then just building those relationships. Um, you miss the interaction with the customers, but it's your customers now are different. They're just on the wholesale side versus in the stores. Well, and when you talk about the the grower connections and the wanting to, you know, bring in the the interesting things and be first to market, it sounds like that's probably translated quite well into your current role with the Oak, Oaks Farms and, and Seed to Table. Yeah, because after I left um, Unified, I got recruited by Charlie's Produce, which is one of the largest wholesalers on the West Coast. And they recruited me and to bring me in as a outside sales and merchandiser. Okay. And that was great because then I was able to go back out into the stores, work with the accounts that were assigned to me and to grow the business. But I was also able to sell product and then get in the store and help merchandise that product that I would sell to them. So I worked with the QSEs that I was previously first started with. Oh, cool. Which was really fun. And then uh, the Fred Meyer accounts, who are also part of the same, under the same umbrella. And so I knew a lot of those guys. Okay. And so I was very successful on selling truckload deals. And then I would go in 
and do the merchandising. And it got to a point where they wanted me to do all their merchandising for all their re-grand openings, all their grand openings, um, or any corporate visits that were going to be coming. They would have me come in and help merchandise the department. So very neat. And yeah. then as I mentioned at the top, the when when folks see pictures of of seed to table now, I think the merchandising is is the first thing everybody notices, right? Just beautiful hand stacking, precision. Um, you, you think of the old saying, stack it high and watch it fly and just beautiful, yep. beautifully done. What what sort of informs the the merchandising strategy for you guys? Well, um, I have a great owner in Alfie Oaks. And when I first got in there, um, you know, they knew what I could do and what I was capable of based off just my resume. Um, but it was a lot to, in the beginning, I wanted them to see what I can do and what I was capable of. And so part of the deal was for me to get there was just to kind of just let me come in and do my thing. And they did. They let me do my thing. And once they saw the way my mind works and my creativeness, um, they have absolutely loved it. They don't restrict me from anything. They don't ask me to. In fact, um, we have customers that buy from our farm and our, our warehouse that we do own and to where they'll send me out to merchandise uh, for our new customers at times that uh, are doing resets or new grand openings and so on. But Alfie allows me to do pretty much anything I want. And so I get creative. I get very, very creative with my merchandising. And I try to do things that you won't and you can't see anywhere else. And when I do that, we get a lot of people that come in and they are pretty overwhelmed and surprised. A lot of them don't want to touch the displays because they oh. feel like it's too nice. But of course we want them to, right? <laughs> but it, at the same time, it's a compliment when they look at it and I see customers taking pictures of the displays or they're um, asking me, where did I come up with this? I have competitors that are coming down from up north in the New York, Philadelphia, Maine, Maryland areas that now have come down to see the store. Wow. Um, I've had some come down to meet me personally, which I did not know that that's what their plans were to do, but they did that work for other chains that have asked to take pictures of the displays while in the stores to kind of get ideas, which is a huge compliment. Um, I take a lot of pride in that, and I absolutely love that because if that tells me I'm doing something that's so unique and different than what a typical grocery store, you know, you're going to see in a produce department, you know, these days. So I have the freedom to kind of do whatever I want. And um, sometimes I go really crazy. So, but it works. Yeah. I mean, I built, I built a... Uh, a grape display with bulk grapes and I created a volcano and it was just something that I thought up in my mind and I have a vision. I put it together and it came out beautifully. 
And we had a lot of compliments from that. And they actually used it. The vendor for the grapes used that display for part of their um, PMA uh, presentation at the PMA in Anaheim. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I've, I've actually, that's, that's the reward for me when I see a lot of that and I get a lot of that, but I'm fortunate that I work for a company that allows me to do these things and they encourage it. And now they don't want anything else out of me, but that. So there's times my owner will come in and he will look at that and wonder why and how did I ever come up with such a thing? And everything is presentation because people shop with their eyes. And even if a customer comes into a store and they see something that they had no intentions of buying or was on their shopping list, but just because of the display and the merchandising, I've had people buy stuff that was not even on their radar before they came in the store. So. So you mentioned the volcano of grapes. What are some of your other favorites even in, in the last year or so that you came up with and you thought, hmm, I couldn't do this somewhere else, but I can try this here. Um, I did some waterfalls. And when I say waterfalls, I'm talking about where I built up the product and I would have product literally like it's literally a waterfall spilling out of baskets or coming from a fountain um, to going extremely big and tying in additional items like um for an example we have a juicy crunch display uh do the local tangerines here and uh by noble and i had our um gal that works at the store that creates signage and stuff create a in huge it's about eight feet by six feet um, tangerine that looks unpeeled. This is Juicy Crunch. And I tie that in the middle with some baskets. And then uh, I add additional citrus that ties in with it for the color. And it's also a way to get people to that additional impulse buy that some people are not looking for, but it's there. So they do. And then I also take my uh, corn display and I built it like a dome. Most people, if you go into a market, they will just kind of, um, it's in the pictures that you would see, actually, the ones that I just recently posted. It looks like it's, it's you know, most displays are the corn is just kind of dumped in or it's just rode in kind of. I kind of built it into a circular shape where it's completely domed. And then I make sure to, trim the ends, trim the ends of the silk, just to give it clean, fresh look. And when a customer comes in and buys off the top of your display versus feeling like they have to go to the bottom, that tells a lot, right? And then I take and did the same thing with zucchini. And then I took the yellow zucchini and put it in the middle in a circle in a round form. So it kind of looked like a uh, sunflower. And then I'll take Roma tomatoes and I like to put them in baskets and then roll them in real nice, kind of into a flower design. But then I put the kale around it. So you don't see that. It almost looks like it's in the field still. Oh, cool. And it kind of gives that creative, oh, like 
something you just wouldn't, you're just not going to see anywhere else, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's not about just always just kind of, you know, sometimes some items, they just look good. If you just go big and you just keep it nice and clean and rode in and straight, that's always a clean presentation. It always says fresh. So, but when you add a little bit of spin and twist to it and something that may tie into it that you wouldn't have thought or seen somewhere else, um, I take wine and cheese and put it with the asparagus. Oh, I would not something, have thought of that. Yeah. So like I have my asparagus table and I put a plate in the middle with some wine and cheese on it um, with a splash of grapes and I tie it in and I get uh, just, you know, a lot of compliments that people are like, it's just so unique. It's so it's very classy. It's beautiful. It's something they they just haven't seen anywhere else. But it's something that I thought in my mind, this says class. This says unique. It says something different and it works. No different than if you put wine with bulk grapes. You know, something it's that's what wine is made out of. Right. So that one person, I've actually had people, even though the wine was used for a display, they've actually bought the wine with the, <laughs> with the grapes. So, you know, you you put another bottle in there. But so it works. It just works. So it's about giving that customer something they've never seen. It's about giving them those options that they didn't think or thought of before they came into the store. It's no different than I'll take asparagus spears and wrap them up and put them over in the meat department mm -hmm. and put them next to the steaks for that impulse buy. Mm -hmm. And every day we'll refill that at least twice. Oh, wow. And it'll hold about 27 units worth. When I say um, units, I mean the asparagus spears that we have, the oil with the garlic on it, and then we wrap it. And we tie it in and it they fly out of there because it's something that they didn't grab while they were in the produce department. But when they went and got their steak, they're like, hey, that that would be great for dinner with dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. It just the light bulb came on. So well, there it is, you know, another impulse buy. So and very neat. And how much of uh, what kind of a part of the business is fresh cut overall or, or value added for you guys? Well, we have a station um, that's called uh, Lettuce Cut. Okay. Okay. And what that is, is we do all our, um, in being in the store, if if you remember, we have uh, all fresh cut fruit we do daily. But I have them mix it up. It's not just trays and, you know, uh, vegetable trays and fruit trays. Um, we now offer, I have them make uh, where you could do just a st strictly a tropical fruit platter. You want strictly a melon platter. We take watermelons and we shave, cut the top off and we take the insides out into melon balls. And then we use the watermelon as the, the bowl with the rest of the fruit in it. So we call it the melon bowl. And we, you know, put the lipstick on it with some flowers, edible flowers in there and Ooh, stuff. Cool. And we sell those like crazy. 
Um, as far as the vegetable side, we do um, zucchini noodles, we call it, where we shave them. These are things that we kind of weren't really doing so much before, but it's stuff that I had them start doing. And now it's become a, it's become a staple and we've had to hire, we have four associates that strictly just do that now. Wow. And those come in like those steamed microwavable bags to, um, we put them in tray packs and those kind of things. And um, so we kind of created a whole nother category for the other side of the case that we had to make room for. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of a team do you have overall to handle the fresh cut and then maintaining that that great look that you have with the merchandising of the department? So a lot of my associates that uh, I have there, I would say about 50% of them are the original associates from when the store opened. Oh, wow. Um, and then the other half are probably associates that I have kind of just hired myself and trained um, that were kind of green, you know, uh, maybe not been in the business that long or at all, um, which can be challenging, but it's also kind of rewarding because, you know, um, they're basically newbies, you know, and you can kind of train them right from the start the correct way how to do your book of business and the way your style is and what your expectations are um the staff that we had there that i inherited when i got there they were kind of more familiar with just kind of doing the dump and run type of look and that's when i changed that right away and explained to them no we're we're going to go to this now and you're going to see the results and you're going to see the results in volume you're going to see the results and just your own gratitude that you can look at something and be like, wow, that looks amazing. And I was able to do that and take some pride in it. And it gives them something to look more forward to when they come to work versus, uh, you know, just a standard, you know, kind of like a farmer's market type feel. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, let's give the customer the wow factor. Let's give them something they've never seen. So I have some great associates that's been in produce for a long time that have inherited my way of thinking and my craziness that I have. And they've embraced it to the point now where I can, I got a few guys that I can tell them, okay, this is kind of what I want. I want you to tie this in doing it. And I kind of let them do it and see what they come up with. And then if it's impressive, we'll roll with it. If it's not, I kind of just will go over to them and say, okay, well, what if we did this? And here's why. And it's my way of showing them respect by doing it and not making them feel um, embarrassed or not proud of what they did, but just to give them another perception and an idea of, what if we did this? And when we do that, they've really embraced it. And now I've got them to a point where they are challenging themselves and they're trying to kind of outdo me sometimes. <laughs> so, and I, I really love that. That's awesome. Any, any super, um, you know, ideas or, or executions you've seen from them lately that you want to shout out? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a, a gentleman. Um, his name is Tempe Dela Cruz. Uh, young guy, 
only 31 years old, but he's been in produce for a long time, you know, a long, long time. And he's always kind of been reserved, but he's always been a sponge. He's always been with me. He asks us the right questions. And then I tell him, think over the top. Think of something that's just mind-blowing, something that you are literally, you're pushing the limit. Like, we almost probably shouldn't do this, but we're going to do it. I said, because that's what's going to separate us from anyone else. So he has come up with some very creative merchandising himself that I have rolled with. Um, he did a display with some mandarins and stem and leaf tangerines where he waterfalled it and built a pyramid type display um, that was very impressive. And I loved it. Um, we put it, he did it right in the front lobby area. And that was kind of one of those, let me see what you got. And if you can, then you're going to have more freedom to do these kind of things. And I'm going to roll with it. And so he did. I have another gentleman. His name is Tio, who is actually his uncle. Okay. Hence Tio, yep. right? Yep. And he's an older gentleman, uh, late 50s. But his hands are incredible. He has got so much detail. And I can just tell him, hey, I need you to go back and let's rotate the citrus, hit the onions, hit the potato table. I don't even have to worry. I can come back four or five hours and this man can literally knock out, strip a whole side down, put it back up. And at the presentation how dialed in it looks is incredible. And at his, when we first started this, he wasn't doing that. He knew how to do it, but he wasn't ever given the opportunity because that's not what they did when they, when I, before I got there. And he was one of the gentlemen that was there prior to me. So he wasn't familiar with that. And once he got to see the way we do things and how I operate and what I expect, he embraced it and took off with it. And he's one of those guys I have in the department that um, I don't ever have to look over his shoulder for anything. And then I also am fortunate enough to have Juanita, who is extremely good at the wet wall. Oh. And her presentation is superb. We did a few resets together. I showed her how I expect it to look. Um, it's a five-tier rack. Oh. So it's very challenging. And I told her the rack needs to look literally like a wall all the way up with everything faced straight across, straight out. And to do that and keep your quality consistent, it takes a lot. And she has done a phenomenal job. And she actually manages that. I hardly ever have to go back there wow. and ever pitch an idea or anything at her. She'll come to me and come up with some ideas. I let her roll with them. And because of what I expect and the style we do things, she knows how it needs to look by using those items based on her ideas. And she's produced every time. So I, I give a lot of freedom to some of these, some of the associates I have that have really embraced and learned from my style. Mm -hmm. Very neat. So now I know that every now and then when in some of these 
online communities, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook groups where folks will share merchandising pictures, you will have, you know, these big, beautiful displays. And a lot of times it's folks from smaller departments or maybe they're in corporate owned stores where they say, oh my gosh, but what about the shrink? Well, of course there's different schools of thought on shrink, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's folks who manage it really closely. And then I know people who are very successful who say, you sell enough, you you keep things moving, the shrink takes care of itself. You don't have to, you know, obsess about the shrink. How, how do you guys think about, talk about shrink? Um, so in a department with the volume that we do, we do a lot of volume. I believe um, <laughs> And with the volume we do, a lot of times the product rotates itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can build a, for an example, um, if I was to take an orange display and make it 10 high, that display within two days, I can let it run and it's down to two layers. Whoa. It's that quick. But what we do is, is any displays that we go big and massive on, I take and put dummies in the middle of those displays using whether it's uh, the product that the boxes that the product, you know, comes in or using RPC trays. So if a product, a display that you might see in one of my stores, that looks like there's 25 cases on there. In reality, there might be only 10. Yeah. And it's because this is how we supplement from being able to, from shrinking, mm -hmm. but volume cures all. So when you have the volume that we do, Sometimes I don't need to do anything and it just rotates itself. We do have a program that um, I started there when I got there that everything, regardless if it's an apple side run, uh, tropicals, citrus, our lobbies, um, everything gets turned regardless every two days. Okay. Regardless, minimum. Some items are returned are rotated daily. And I'm fortunate enough to where a lot of other stores out there don't have this. I have the labor. So one of the agreements of coming there was is wanting the labor to be able to keep my department fresh. So we have about a, only a 4% shrink okay. in my entire department. Um, and that's pretty standard. You know, you're going to get things that can just go south overnight um, or even through the process of being just on your table throughout the day, if it's out of refrigeration, of course, um, type of thing. So we we have, but to do the volume we do and only a four percent shrink, absolutely take that every day. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that one of the things you you spoke with the leadership there about before you got there was, hey, like. For, for us to to be able to to meet this vision and deliver on this, we got to have the people to do it. Was that an easy discussion? Was that something you needed to kind of prove out over time or, or how did that go? Because obviously I know labor is a, a mostly universal challenge, except maybe in something right. like where you have full buy-in and you got, you know, limited locations. Um. Well, I explained to them how I wanted to do things and get going as we got going. Um, the first five or six months I was there and they saw and got to see the way I operate and how big I like to go. Um, 
you have to have the labor in order to keep and maintain those conditions, right? Mm -hmm. And the quality. And if you don't have that, then there's no point to doing it because you're setting yourself up for failure. And if you don't have the right people, then you also can't be successful. So I'm only as successful as the team I have, you know, behind me. Mm -hmm. And it's also learning what each associate is good at and using them where their strengths are versus trying to get them and asking them to do something that they're not strong at or as good at. So I'm not doing my job as a manager, setting them up for success. If I have an associate that just can't understand how to make a certain display, look, look a certain way. But let me tell you something, that guy can trim and do a lot of prep and he can get a lot of stuff done to where we don't have to do that on the sales floor. We can just bring it out and do it. Then that's my job to make sure to put him in that position to be successful. So it's about putting the right people in place and allowing me to take the time to train my associates on some one-on-one time and build some of these displays with them and explain in detail why we're doing it this way. Here's how you do it. This is how we're going to make it look without it. You know, I've had a, the other day I was training an associate and they asked me, I told him what we were going to do on this pineapple display. And he said, wow. He goes, do I need to bring a whole pallet out? I go, no, just bring 25 cases. And then I explained to him and showed him how we tiered it to make it look like a palm tree And when we did that, he was so taken back that he thought for sure we were going to need, because of how big we went, we would need, you know, a whole pallet. And each case had six pineapple as, you know, it's a six count. And we used only 25 cases to build the entire display. But it looks like there's probably easily a pallet's worth of product on it. Yeah. So they've allowed me to, the training hours, they've allowed me the flexibility to, bring people in um, the same times I'm there to train them, even if they're going to be a closer and stuff, just so they can kind of get the proper training to give them the respect and to also, that's how you're going to be successful. If you take the time to um, make time for your people to do this, then they're successful, successful. And I'm a firm believer. You're only as good as your closers. So your closers set you up every night for the next morning. And if we do our part and set them up when we leave, then the closers are successful. And then it just, it continues into the next day and the next day. And when there is hiccups, it's an easy rebound. And those are going to happen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and you mentioned the, you know, having the budget for, labor hours, not just for folks on the sales floor, but for training and for some of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sounds like it's an investment that's, you know, paid off for them again and again and again to, which, which is pretty, pretty different than what you see in a lot of kind of, you know, corporate grocery retail, I think on that investment mm-hmm. in, in training and in labor. Yeah. See, part of the problem is, is, um, you get these corporate chains and what they, everything is, labor 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 
So sometimes, you know, I've been on the wholesale side. I've been a buyer. I've been, so I know, I know where they can save their money, right? The one way to save money is in labor. They can't change their cost of goods. Okay. They have a target margin that they're going to have to go by. Okay. So they can't always control shrink, but they can control labor. Mm -hmm. So to hit the numbers that they want to do, what they end up doing in the process is cutting their own throats, in my opinion, because what you did now is you took the people that are who's going to put this product out in front of the customer that's going to give you that customer service that's going to drive your customer's base back and not give them a reason to go somewhere else. You're cutting that off. Um by saving a few dollars in labor. And what you don't understand is, is if you put the labor in the storage, the return is there. It comes. And because you improve your quality, you improve your conditions and you improve your customer service. So if you go into a, a grocery store that's corporately owned, not to name any names, yeah. But you put them out there and you go in and you can't find a single associate or maybe a associate to talk to and ask a question. Um, As a customer, you're going to get frustrated. And then if it becomes a consistent thing with that chain, because, again, it's all about labor. They don't want to spend the money on labor, but yet they have these expectations of this is how they want things done. But you're not given the labor to do it. Those are the corporate chains out there that I I personally would never be able to be in a position that I'm in now with because they don't understand that. I'm a little old school. Um, you know, I believe that customer service is a driving force, quality. You can't do that when you cut hours and you have no labor. Mm-hmm. Something's going to suffer, and it's customer service and quality is the first two things that are going to go. Well, at that point, if you're a customer and you're a consumer, I, why would you go there and shop? You can't, it's too inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get. And the way pricing is today, it's kind of brutal to go in and see $2.99 on Aroma Tomato and it's more or less already ketchup because they don't have the labor or the experience of an associate in there that knows how to take overwrite product off the table and how to rotate those items and stuff. So now you're just, you're hurting yourself. You're losing money, but that's how a lot of these chains want to do their book of business. And it's usually some guy in a tie sitting upstairs. It's never done produce. That's looking and juggling numbers. It's the one determining this. So. Well, and and Donovan, and for our listeners too, I will admit I definitely fall on the old school side of this as well because the people that I learned from, you know, starting in the the industry on the trade media side about, gosh, I guess about eight years ago now, they're kind of that old school, right? You invest in your people and they will make everything go. But I, I know the it seems like sort of the the focus on a specific margin percentage is is kind of the death knell sometimes because that locks you into things on on what you're doing on the labor side it sounds like yep yep and it's it's not worth it i mean your return is much bigger when you 
when you put when you're willing to invest in your people and invest in your own business by putting the right people in place to be successful and making sure you have the labor to do so. So well in well, first of all, I should ask you, I know we've gone way over time already. Are do you have another thing to hop to or do you mind chatting for a little bit longer? Um no, I got about another five or ten minutes. Okay. I, I appreciate it. Sorry we've gone over it. No, it's okay. It's been awesome listening to uh, to all that you guys are are doing at Seed to Table and how you're doing mm-hmm. things differently than than we see in a lot of places. So I'll just I'll just wrap up with this. You we've talked a little bit about you know how the merchandising and and having the the labor that's really appropriate, how that all goes into the customer experience. When I was looking at the website for Seed to Table, it had something that I don't see at most grocery stores, which is it was talking about live music seven days a week yes. at the store. Tell me a little bit about how Seed to Table kind of fits into the fabric of the community there with these different events and and other things that you guys do. So um, downstairs is the the grocery store. And then we have in the back of the store an entire culinary um, restaurants. And when I say restaurants, you you can get anything from a burger to a stir fry to a steak to a pork chop to a pizza it's extremely awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a great chef back there that has and does an incredible job with all his sous chefs. The upstairs is our nightly entertainment where we do host um, bands weekly, daily. Um, that's pretty cool. We book uh, cover bands. Um we have a, I believe it's Aerosmith cover band coming soon. We did ACDC cover bands. They all actually do different nights of music, whether it's country, 80s. Um, they'll have DJs coming in from Miami that uh, come up there and perform. And then we have local artists as well that have a lot of followers that actually perform um, consistently there as well. So on Saturdays and Sundays, they have music starting downstairs by the bar downstairs by one o'clock. And then by four o'clock, the upstairs music starts. And you can actually look up at the stage from produce and see them performing. And it's pretty cool because the customers can come in and buy um, a drink a glass of wine, a beer, and shop the store while listening to music, while grocery shopping, which is something that I've never personally had and been involved in and been a part of ever in my career until I got to seat to table. But it works, and people love it. It's a fun atmosphere. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, Donovan, anything that we've missed that you wanted to make sure we hit or anything else you want to add? Again, thank you for for staying a little extra past the time we'd originally scheduled, but anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, I just tell anybody that if you're in Florida and you're in South Florida, um, whether it's in Miami and you want to take the, you know, hour and 45 minute drive or so over, come see us. We do do things differently. We have a five-star um, bakery chef, a five-star uh, Michelin chef as far as kitchen. 
We do things entirely different than anywhere you've seen. We we bake our own breads, our own pastries, our cookies. Um, we do our own, We like I said, our own culinary, the kitchen. We have an incredible state-of-the-art wine uh, department called Hops and Vines. We do wine tastings. Um, we do things a little bit different than anywhere else you're going to see. And then, of course, of all things, produce. Come see how we do things differently and how big we go, um, the creativeness and the uniqueness of it. And a lot of times, anything that you would not typically find anywhere else, I do carry and get. So I have items that people have never seen in their life. They didn't know what a mangosteen was. They wouldn't know what a um, cacao was. There's some things that are completely different that I bring in that we've had a lot of success with. And so for anybody that's in Naples or coming down for vacation, come see us. We'd love to see you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Donovan, again for your time. We'll thank our listeners as well. And I always tell folks, if you are learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review. That helps me keep it going um, and yeah. be able to bring in awesome folks like Donovan to share some of their expertise about this industry. So with that, thank you everyone again, and we'll see you next week on the Produce Retail Podcast. <laughs>